This committee meeting to order. Um, can we have roll call? Director Page. I'm here. Director West. Present. Chair Limbaugh. Here. And here. directors in attendance online, I have Director Hoffman and Director Ramirez. Okay. Consultants, I have Carrie Packer, and for staff, I have General Manager Adnan Anatari, presenting staff, Christy Yuna, Jerry Burns, Wesley Massol, Tesfe DeMarsal, De Mike Simpson, Stefan Longoria, and Doug Kuhn. Okay, uh, you guys like the agenda? It's fine. Okay. Um, how about last meeting's uh, summary That's from good. January? It's fine. First thing we have on the agenda is a workshop uh, for uh, using unused R cube capacity for groundwater banking. And I think uh, Wesley, are you going to give this presentation? Yeah, I can briefly introduce it. So, um, uh, water resource staff, specifically Wes, has been exploring ways of um, how we phase in groundwater banking capacity to manage our Table A um, and um, and any potential in the future, of course, for partner um, groundwater banking. Efforts. So as part of that, um, it was recognized that we have quite a bit of unused R-cubed capacity. And so um, uh, Wes and his team decided to, to explore that, see uh, what... Um, and so, yeah, with that, um, I'll, I'll kick it over to Wes to introduce uh, his uh, analysis. All right, thanks, General Manager Adnan, and good morning. Uh, Christy, can we? Oh, there it is. Okay. So, um, a name not included, that's an oversight. So, none of this would have happened without uh, Dr. Kulabali or Kapo. Um, he was pivotal in being able to even explore this as a potential project. So. This is just a, we're curious, so we looked at it. This is just a workshop for discussion purposes. Um, I'll give a little bit of background about where we're at in the groundwater banking project, um, what's available in the R-cubed system, um, what our banking scenario was. Okay, and then uh, kind of a what's next for the next steps and then a conclusion and I'll open the floor for discussion. So this is where we're at as far as the KJ groundwater banking feasibility study. We've reached the partner outreach and preliminary design phase. Um, so in part of that, we did a outreach through our consultants for anyone looking for immediate groundwater banking capacity in our service area. And the results of that were there were three entities that wanted groundwater banking. They knew what their asks and their take were and how much storage capacity they were looking for. So Central Coast Water Agency, San Gorgonio Pass Water Agency, and a, a private company called Homer LLC 
that uses um, contracts to facilitate water transfers in the state water project system. So they're all looking for banking capacity with us. So as a way to facilitate that, I started poking around and um, I realized that we have the R-Cube system, which was built in 2013. We use it to store state water project in the floodplain aquifer. Uh, we have six wells that recover and chlorinate water for potable use, and it's currently serving Hesperia Water District, Victorville Water District, U U Liberty Utilities, and the city of Adelanto. Our total capacity of the six wells, assuming 75% uptime, is 25,000 acre-feet a year of recovery. The current usage with our customers in the R-Cube system is 6,000 acre-feet a year. If we leveraged unused capacity and existing facilities of Rock Springs, Silverwood, Deep Creek, and the pipelines, we have about 19,000 acre-feet a year of unused capacity in the R-Cube system. That's just based on sheer uh, pipeline size? That's just and looking pumping at pumping ability. Yeah, pumping ability. The pipeline would need some, the booster station would need updates and stuff like that. But I think the total pipeline capacity is 44,000 acre feet a year. Is that correct? I'm looking at Mike or Tony if they have a number. It's 40. Okay. So the pipeline diameter could handle it, but the booster or the pump station would need additional pumps to reach that. So the well capacity exists, the booster would need to, and it was anticipated it would be upsized or additional um, uh, uh, so pumps would be added, so. Yep. So um, this is kind of the scenario that we were designed. So the light gray would be the volume of water put in the ground in a year. The light blue represents the amount banked by external partners or us, and the dark blue represents the leave-behind water, assuming 10% leave-behind was our ne negotiated agreement. However, this could go all the way up to 50% leave-behind, depending on what the agency decides they want. Red is uh, recovery, so that's the take. Um, and then the, the scenario is run for 20 years, and it assumed that as soon as a banking partner had reached their maximum storage capacity, they began taking their maximum recovery capacity in the following year. So this is a very simple, conservative scenario just to see how does this aquifer, how does this system respond to banking. Um, so that's how it all played out over 20 years. And... These are two wells that we looked at the difference of not banking versus banking and the impact on water levels. So this is the net change between those two scenarios at a specific point. So along the river and at our extraction wells, so this is RW6, it shows a net impact of potentially negative one feet um, during a high recovery year. And uh, for the model, plus or minus five feet is within the margin of error. So anything less than that could just be noise within the model and is not considered uh, a, maybe a real impact or an important impact. And then we looked at wells that were away from the river 
and you kind of see a small net increase in water levels. However, that's still below five feet. So in general, there's almost no impact on wells while we're running this scenario. Wes, how, how far away is that, ex that the, the, the hydrograph on the right? How I think that's about that? two and a half to three miles away from the river. Okay, thank you. So looking at kind of the leave behind over the years um, and looking at the benefits of that water. So in 2022, an acre foot of water to purchase to import before the rains would have been $2,000 plus an acre foot. In this scenario, over 20 years, we will have accumulated 31,200 acre feet of leave behind water at no additional cost to the agency. If that water is managed to be transferred or sold during a dry year, like 2022, that could be a net income of $62,400,000 to the agency. That amount of money could then import in a wet year, like this year, where the state water um, project costs are $296.45 an acre foot, that nets us 210,491 acre feet of water, which is similar to the total amount of natural recharge that we got during last year's floods. So the next steps would be to use the model for a more detailed impact analysis. We need to understand how banking would impact uh, base flow at the Narrows, what the spatial distribution of change is looking at contours, and then running it in real drought scenarios where we're importing water during wet years and maybe we're only recovering water during a sub 20% state water project allocation or something like that to look at how the aquifer responds when it's not getting any water. Additionally, we would need local outreach and stakeholder buy-in uh, and also pursuing potential partners and then additionally, the whole R-Cube system would need permitting updates for turn-in um, capacity and then some small updates to the facilities. So the conclusions, R-Cubed has unused capacity that exists. It presents an opportunity to develop a small-scale banking program while the aqueduct corridor is being investigated for a larger-scale project. It, Existing infrastructure and extensive previous studies make R-Cube the lowest hanging fruit as far as developing a banking program. However, local buy-in is critical for success and preliminary impact looks positive with minimum adverse effects. So this was just a workshop, so I'd like to open the floor for discussion. Yeah, let's talk about uh, local buy-in. So we've been talking about this a long time. What are some of our uh, stakeholders uh, saying? I, I already know and I can name a few people who are going to be uh, against us individuals, but uh, what are our local stakeholders saying? I mean, this isn't a secret what, we're, what we've been talking about. So I, what we've, I think generally speaking, we've just been describing this groundwater banking concept, not just for partner banking, which could, as Wes pointed out, leave behind water that we didn't have access to or we don't have access to now, it's new water, but also um, for the management of our own Table A. So this concept has been described, you know, given the extremes we're operating under um, in, in hydrology. Um, I think that this is this has always been one of those, um, we know that there's a potential here, but can we responsibly do it type question. 
and that's what uh, staff is exploring is so we can we can be prepared to answer questions about is this a viable um, addition to our, our tool set our toolkit in managing water um, I think um, uh, we are interested in gather, getting uh, some feedback from the, the the greater stakeholder group on this of course in the R cubed area and along the river uh, we're not the only ones with wells there so we're very uh, sensitive to what our operation means for impact and you know wells that we don't control um, and so but you know in order to start and inform the discussion we thought it would be good to start to analyze this and we've got modeling tools we can start to look at this and explore what it may look like okay because this is great for us. This is great for uh, our community, um, what we'll be able to do to bring in more water. I just know when this first got started getting floated, you could already tell we were going to get blamed any time that the water levels dropped when we would be taking out, even though we could describe, yes, but it, won't, it wouldn't be our water. Uh, we would get more. That, for some reason, is a, a challenge for some people to grasp that we would still end up with more water, but once we start talking about taking it out of the system, um, that raises a lot of red flags. Uh, again, I think we should do this. I hope we can do this. I hope everything proves out. It'll be interesting what our stakeholders um, tell us. Thank you. So, um, maybe I'm jumping ahead. Uh, is this particular idea, I mean, obviously we've developed this quite a bit. Um, so what stage are we at right now? Just We are in the official stage of partner outreach. Okay. All right, and um, is this, this particular program in our master plan? The master plan is still being developed, but yes, it will be included. Okay, it's one of those. Um, did the original R-Cube, um, have this sort of scenario in it, you know? I wasn't here, but Adnan is saying no. No. Okay. Yeah, so, and Tony, you can correct me if I'm wrong. My, my understanding is that this was that this was principally about store, you know where our managed operation was storing water in the river. That's where water took, and then being able to deliver to our uh, retail uh, partners. But in terms of a pump back uh, into the aqueduct, either for our use to then take off a different turnout, or as part of a um, a partnership with another um, state water contractor as part of a groundwater banking exercise? No, um, that wasn't explicitly, I don't think, anticipated with the original uh, intent of the, of the project. It was not. So if it was not, but we were accused that oh, this we would be at, the... We looked at different pumping scenarios. Yeah. One, you had to figure out how many wells there would be, where they would be at, how much water we would have available for recharge, but it was never thought that we would bank water for others, period. No, but we were accused as it was going on that this was eventually what we were going to end up doing. I don't remember that. And I, I your friends are. I there. wrote the environmental document, yeah. so I don't. I don't know. Comment there was. Yeah, but the tools are pretty new for the uh, for the around the state water project. But you know, other you know, Central Valley project, for example, have been using some of these tools for quite a while. Um, after the amendments to the contract in Monterey, uh, this was in the '90s, I want to say. Um, you know, the development of the Kern Water Bank, for example, was a DWR facility. It was handed over. Uh, but this was anticipated as part of how the state was going to manage water because uh, we've got a long system and hydrology happens very rapidly. And, and um, putting, putting it and diversifying where we store water, how we can recover it, was anticipated as a statewide system. 
Um, and what you've seen is kind of a mixed, uh, both a statewide approach, but also individual agencies seeking, you know, storage options for themselves. So this, there's been a lot of momentum in recent years around this. We're sort of behind the curve, if you will. There's a lot of development of this. Our, our, our neighbors at AVEC um, have developed this, uh, and uh, I've just gone live. And so this is something that we've been aware of, but understanding our current capacities, what we currently have, what can we leverage um, to accomplish some of this in the near term as we plan out the longer term? And I see Tony's come up. Yeah, just to expound a little bit upon that last comment, Adnan make. So the intent here is this is a 40,000 acre foot per year project. The original intent was for internal MWA use only to deliver state water project to our stakeholders. Um, historically, we have roughly 6,000 acre foot per year demands on our cubed leaving uh, quite a lot of unused capacity. So our intent is to not convert our cubed into a, an outside partner's water bank, but rather use the unused capacity as a stopgap in the meantime while we develop those other facilities. And so our internal, our internal use as we grow into that will be back up. The outside partners aspect of our cubed will be transferred to those newer off-river facilities as our own internal use grows into the capacity for our cubed. And how was the R cubed capacity determined? There, there might, Mike have that. Been, <laughs> might have been, yeah, we'll take the water if it's there, and then now the, the deliveries are obviously... Well, there's a number of factors that went to determine the capacity of our cubed. Okay. Obviously, one of the biggest ones is how much water can you get into the ground over a certain period of time? Then what was the what was the projection uh, based on, I think they used the urban water management to determine where users would be and how much they would be taking on average. Okay. That all topped by the whole fact that if you only look at on average of 55%, maybe it was 65% back then when the state was lying, but now it's cut down to 50, and who knows where it's gonna go, but it was based on how much was available to us at, at the state state level. That started the whole discussion. And then I'm not sure, but I think also analysis was done on peaking, um, how much you can deliver in a 30 inch pipe over a given period versus how much you can deliver over a 24 inch pipe over a certain period. So the capacity line involved a lot of factors other than 40,000 and we're only using six. Right. Okay. Peaking factor baked into that. I don't happen to know it off the top of my head, but after doing the Atalanto extension, that was one of the factors that went into that design as well. Well, and overall use is down, right? Plus, well, so we wanted to get the grant money from the state to build our cube. That was the main main focus, so that we got free money to build the project. We we did get I think Prop 50. Um, so what? And maybe this is jumping ahead, but um, I was getting to the next question, which was. Uh, the CEQA, what level of CEQA would this require? And then are, are you talking about using these recovery wells and then some sort of an extension to pump it back to the aqueduct or is it all a lot of paper trading? Uh, physical pump back is the intent. Uh, CEQA did not cover the pump back to the aqua, aqua, aqueduct aspect that, that this workshop is discussing, so that would have to be considered right. in some kind of an update. And you would use you are talking about using these wells to pump back? Correct. Yeah, in your vision. And there could be more wells. Yeah. I mean, the whole concept, we have a lot of storage capacity in that. Uh, is have a great value to folks these days, and I think it's something we need to, to explore. 
Um, and then who was Homer LLC? They're <laughs> out there trading water. Is that what you said? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, it's very interesting to see that wet your water is about 300, right? An acre foot. And this dry year value is about 2,000. And if I understood correctly, we were able to bank a tremendous amount of water last year using other people's funds because we leveraged our water. Yeah, we. Right? Yeah, the, the the whole the whole system is uh, we, we've talked about buy low, sell high. So we sold high, um, uh, twenty two and twenty one. We we brought in around uh, close to thirty million dollars in in revenue from just those sales. Um, and we converted some of that, well, um, the majority of our imports were, well, all of our imports were covered by the revenue raised then. And, you know, it was, it represented four or five times what we transferred. So um, when you, when you look at this sort of um, low, low and high cycle, it starts to pan out really well. And that was uh, Wes's slide. So this, this project is separate from what we're talking about a little later with geoscience. That's correct. Okay. Um, this project here, does it have any particular grants? We're just still in concept stage. There might be funding coming from the partners. This was purely me playing around with Kappa. Um, what? Shame on me. <laughs> it, uh, and he pretty much said what it was. It's a, it's a stopgap to use uh, uh, local areas for recharge that we can get water to our area and then uh, not pay for it. And perhaps leverage yeah, existing. I, I think what what I saw was an opportunity to one when you're banking with external partners, you are always putting more water in the ground than you're taking out. So there's a net benefit there. Secondly, if we're going to pursue large scale banking projects, we need funding. Um, partners will pay us money it on top of costs for operation and maintenance to put water in the ground. And they'll pay us money on top of operations and maintenance costs to take it back out. So that cycle generates income. And then we have the opportunity cost with leave behind water. So I saw this as an opportunity to really put our infrastructure to work for the agency. And so there we have it. And I want to add to that, even if we didn't have interested partners as part of this revenue generation and leave behind component, which is you know, a, it's panning out to make a lot of sense. Uh, we, you know, in a year like last year, where we put, we, we, most of the water we took was directly from releases from Silverwood. And the reason is that's reliable. It's uh, we didn't have infrastructure outages to interrupt our ability to take that water. Well, it, the fate of that water is in the river, um, and um, and if there's an ability to remanage that water over time, put it in areas where, you know, we weren't able to move water in a given year. That's a that's a good tool to have, and our cube could represent a very low cost way of accomplishing that, given we have unused capacity and ability to, uh, can, again, just connect up the plumbing um, so that we can manage that way. And I, and I understand that. Um, and so any take back water, they'd pay all those costs, right? Okay. <clears throat> Pumping costs, et cetera. Um, so our, I guess our next step is, is the outreach, outreach. And um, we've got a story to tell. So is our team working on a strategy for that? Um, we are looking for kind of direction from the board, and we are looking to get the temperature of stakeholders before we put a lot of effort into this. I know 
this could be a, a contentious project. And I think it's important that everyone's on board with the agency as we pursue this. So the hope was to get the discussion, the conversation started. This looks like a great opportunity. I, I think it's a great opportunity. So yeah, it's a matter of um, determining who has uh, questions or concerns about it and then how we address those. And I think we have a good forum, and that's the technical technical advisory committee. So um, we can bring that as suggestions to the executive TAC as um, discussion items that we can start this conversation. If that's the direction this committee wants to give us, we can we can look at doing that. And do we have a um, active sub area advisory group for the sub area advisory? Is mostly related to the water master and judgment issues. Um, while it is happening within the Mojave Basin, you know, what we're talking about is within the Mojave Basin adjudication area. I don't think it's really um, uh, relevant to the sub-areas, but, I mean, it, that they we don't inform that discussion as much as we help facilitate. That's that's done by the stakeholders within those areas. Maybe a focus group on attack might be useful. Yeah, yes. That was all my comments, Chair uh, Limbaugh. Okay. Um, brought up one comment that I didn't have. Um, with regards to the cost of water, don't fool yourselves. Uh, we bought state project water last year at, let's just use $300 an acre foot, and sold it to somebody else when we got um, minimum allocation uh, for several thousand dollars an acre foot. That difference doesn't even represent a drop in the bucket to go back and pay what we paid originally on the debt service for Brenda Mesa and uh, What's the other one we have? Dudley Ridge. Dudley Ridge. Um, those are millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars. And every month we get charged for 89,900 acre feet rather than the original 50,000, which is almost double. So we're paying double, and we have not made up even a, a, a close to what we paid for state the right to buy state project water, let alone put wet water on the ground. So when we say, oh, it was a good deal, yeah, if it's perpetuated. But if it's only going to happen every 15 years, I want my money back. <laughs> it wasn't a very good investment. A um, couple questions, and they're in no particular order. Um, in your conclusion, you wrote the words uh, minimal effects. Can you define minimal effects? Um, no. But <laughs> within the model, well, all that's a trigger. Yeah, 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 yeah. To, so uh, this is what I will say within the model. All of the changes that we observed were within the margin of error for the model. So it looks like there's almost no effect. And the effects that look like they might be there, like you saw trending off the river, an upward kind of angle or slope to the line. It showed that over time, it looks like water levels do tend to accumulate during banking. But can I say right now with the, the analysis that we've done, what the effects will be? I cannot. Um, and, and the reason I'm asking that, because uh, our CUBE's environmental document, I believe, was done in the late 2010s and uh, became a project in 2013, I think. Hmm. And uh, uh, my question would be, if that is true, what level of uh, investigation will have to be done if we change that project? Because I'm absolutely certain the original project did not include banking water and 
that transaction that would take place? My guess in terms of the recharge and recovery, we probably analyzed the a capacity that, that was built out. So the only change really is the where that water is going. Indeed. Yeah. So um, I think. Which is in, in very important in a project. It's yeah, ag agreed. Yeah, but at the uh, you know in terms of use of facility, it's pretty maybe, much maybe not similar. Yeah. Okay. It, uh, but of course that'll be that would have to be analyzed. Okay. Um, the other thing, um, right, wrong, or different, we only have so much table entitlement. We have a couple agreements that modify that. One is with Metropolitan Water District. The other is with Westside. I think when we talk about taking water into a banking program. OS stays cleaner because there's nothing there now and it's gonna be a new facility. So I think when we're looking at um, maximizing our areas uh, for whatever purpose, uh, either groundwater recharge or uh, supplying customers, um, I think we have to focus on the whole picture and not just one project in a microcosm. Because I think we make a mistake then um, the, the Antelope Wash is probably my favorite project here at MWA. We worked on it for about six years because it was the only project we had. And we spent, oh, a couple million dollars on investigating that. It sits void. We do nothing with it now. Um, so my, my, my point is, is when, when we look at these new projects, and I'm, I'm great we're coming up with these ideas because that will eventually lead to something that helps uh, our situation here in the high desert and our, our uh, 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 residents that live up here. But I think to look at this project in itself uh, only uh, based on that it all assimilates from the state water project, uh, we need to see the whole picture. So in other words, on any given year, if we're only going to get 10% allocation, this project doesn't even come into the discussion. And if you go back in history and look at that, that's 40% of the time at this agency. So I think to spend money on stuff that is only going to represent a small microcosm to catch a little flake that we may be able to get from something that we already have, I think we need to spend time doing that. Um, and I think you guys know what I'm talking about. The main goal is we live in an overdrafted basin in, in the Mojave region. Uh, the most important thing to prevent overdraft is one, either eliminate pumping, or two, provide additional water supplies that we don't currently have, aka new water. This project brings no new water, Okay. It may help us financially, but it doesn't provide new water. In the future, it might, though, if it becomes available through an alternative source other than the state water project, or we can use the state water project to bring water that's not state project water down it, which we, we don't do now. But we have other agreements. The Metropolitan Water District Agreement can bring wet water to our area if we needed it. Um, and the paybacks are, of course, according to that agreement. We still have uh, Westside, which I think is up for renegotiation next year. We can look at that. But right now, anything over 35,000 acre feet entitlement, some of it has to go to Westside by that agreement. Is it 35,000 or 50,000? Above 35 percent, yes, there's okay. a varying amount. So those are factors that I think, um, if we're going to move forward with this, for any type of uh, significant investigation, like we're going to talk about at the, the next juncture in the item number... Uh, six, uh, we need to look at the, the big picture. And, and, and rather than look at microcosm, it gives the board an idea of what's the priorities. Is the priority to deliver 17,000 acre feet a year to the Mojave Basin? That's number one priority. How does this proposed idea affect that? Is the number one idea to make sure IDM has 
9,000 acre feet a year? Is the other idea to make sure Baja has 4,000 acre feet a year? Those priorities for this basin are already somewhat established, if not by the adjudication, by MWA's own policy. So I think when we look at a project like this, for us to make a legitimate decision, yeah, it's a great project, and yeah, it sounds good. But to sell it to people that don't have the information at their fingertips, like we do here on the board or staff, uh, you're going to need some clear guidance of why this project is important and why it's better over some other projects. Because we can only do so much given a certain amount of time. I mean, we have a lot of good people now, and that's probably one of the reasons you guys uh, uh, came up with this idea. It's a good idea. But trying to sell it as opposed to other things that we may or may not be able to even deliver in the future, uh, it has to be prioritized. So I think um, Integrated Regional Water Management Plan or our area's Regional Water Management Plan gets updated beginning in another couple years. Last one we did was 2014 or 2018. Good question. The integrated planning process is slightly different, has a different, well, the state isn't supported the same way it used to on that. Um, we are pursuing a master planning effort which is going to help address also regional level, you know, uh, water management issues um, and how that ties into stakeholders and their projects and how it inter intersects with what we're trying to do more regionally is something we'll explore, whether it takes the form of an IRWMP or something similar. Uh, is, it's, it's on the horizon. Okay. And, and um, my advice is to not have projects that take raw water, stick it in our aquifer, purify it, pump it out, and give it to somebody else that doesn't live in our area. That probably won't fly too well in this region, in my opinion, unless they give it to us for free. And it would be obviously uh, inconsistent to put it in our aquifer, pump it out, and put it back into the aqueduct. So that's taking raw water, <laughs> making it go through the purification process that the river does naturally, and pumping it back in the aqueduct creates a problem for a lot of people that we're, we've done that. And so I, I, I don't think you've proposed that, but I don't think that's a real good idea. The Oeste water that we're planning to do over there, maybe that's a, a little better idea because it's right by the aqueduct and the water is not, um, uh, how shall I say, um, it's not in the big ball along the main uh, alluvial fan. So uh, it's out of sight, out of mind, kind of like. Um, but anyway, that's, uh, that's, let's pursue it, you know. Um, but but uh, I, I do also think that staff is, the OSDA project right now is probably your most uh, forward, let's go do that, because we, we need something over there. Rather than build another pipeline from the, from the river bend, it would be nice to have some type of recharge there. Also, uh, it allows us to do the, changes with other people. I would hope that the, the agencies that you've listed on here would be interested in, in that similar project in Oeste too, as well as the main river. But I understand there's a time gap for that, and that's what you're trying to fill. Okay. So maybe that would be germane to your discussion too, is although Oeste area isn't going to really come to fruition, we think, until about here, but this R-Cube deal that we're proposing, it can come quicker and be here now where we can take advantage of anything like that. Yep. Yeah, I think you brought up a lot of really great points, especially when you're talking about some of the money that the agency has spent in the past on studies that have stalled. But this is kind of going down that checklist and looking at where money has been spent, 
what we have existing and how can we leverage that to bring in new water and maybe help alleviate some of the financial impact of these other water management tools that we need to function. And I think this past year showed us clearly we can handle our whole entitlement with what we have. Yeah, the independent. Now, that that would be even including the water we sent to Westside. What did we send? 15,000? 25,000. 25,000. But we got the article 41, is that? 21. Yeah. 21. Any articles? <laughs> uh, the the uh, uh, that we have facilities that we didn't even use to capacity, because if you'll recollect, the uh, last year the DWR had issues at Pear Blossom. They had issues at Silverwood. You know, anytime we get the water available, well, we got issues. <laughs> so I, I mean, you know, we're not the we're not the stumbling block. So we we were able to take the water, and when we're going to supplement the ability to take water with other things. They better have two good reasons. One, they benefit the constituents of our area, and two, they're financially responsible and help our agency uh, move forward in that respect. Okay. I've talked enough. Go ahead. So, well, I guess coming back to this, this project you're proposing, we have probably environmental documentation to make it happen. We have outreach to sell it, but we don't have a lot of infrastructure to build because you're talking about leveraging existing. So there might be... Uh, one scenario where you would maybe need a pipeline to put it back in, say, the aqueduct. It could also just be a trade, um, and it could be that it gets pumped back through a different project. It doesn't have to be the same water su supply or, right, or not the same yeah. molecule, I call it. So, in fact, it does leverage infrastructure that we may never fully utilize because the way it was designed, that's a different date and time in the past and now we've basically brought down consumption quite a bit since I'm gathering since 2010. So it does utilize what we have so that's good and it may come sooner uh, than the which I think you're referring to the OSD project which is the one we're talking about a little later right? Yeah the West Victorville okay. project. West Victorville. All right so I like it. What, what did you say the Homer LLC was? They're, they're a private entity that um, I believe was founded by some former public servants, but uh, they will they facilitate transfers and make money. Water hustlers. So it's a good idea. The committee has no problems with it, but I think from my perspective, uh, you need to look at the, the whole picture and how this part fits into the puzzle. Absolutely. So. Okay, moving on. Do, do, do we have anybody online that we, they don't do that up here, right? No guests here, mostly staff, all staff. Okay. Discuss proposals for on-call real estate consultant, Christy. I'll just intro real quickly. So we recognize that um, we're probably entering an era with the master planning of identifying. Um, potential need for facilities or expansions or projects that will likely be paired up with a need to acquire some real estate. We also identified, um, you know, areas where we currently do monitoring or have monitoring wells um, and uh, don't have property rights or ownership. And so in an effort to sort of wrangle all of that and get some support on property um, uh, negotiation and acquisitions, um, an RFP was put out to solicit, you know, 
qualified professional uh, consultants to support us with this effort. So with that, Christy, if you could take this away. Morning, thank you. So our agenda for today, we're gonna talk about the need for an on-call real estate consultant, the response to the request for proposal, analysis and outcome, the fiscal impact and the recommendation. So the agency has been operating without an on-call real estate consultant for several years and is preparing for a regional scale master plan that will entail significant investments in property for recharge basins, infrastructure, and installation of monitoring walls throughout the MWA boundary. Given limited staff time and absence of in-house expertise, coupled with increasing projects and complexity of property acquisition, the agency requires specialized services and market analysis, due diligence, compliance, negotiation, and legal aspects to optimize current and potential properties. Additionally, having an on-call consultant will help to expedite the need to purchase land that aligns with the agency's mission, goals, and objectives. Some of the things that the staff is looking for in a real estate firm is to provide a real estate analysis, assessment of property sales on and off the market, appraisal and escrow services, issue resolution, compliance, due diligence, and legal preparation. Acquisition services, um, over two-thirds of the monitoring wells in the monitoring program are without easements, and MWA also identified a similar need for easements for the Morongo Basin Pipeline and the Mojave River Pipeline. The staff wanted a firm that could provide easement acquisition services for new and existing facilities. These needs identified um, the reason we put out the RFP. Because of these needs, staff advertised a request for proposal for an on-call real estate consultant. The four proposals um, we received in were Coldwell Banker, commercial from Victorville, Epic Land Solutions, incorporated from Riverside, Hamner Jewel and Associates from Ario Grande, Arroyo Grande, and Paragon Partner Consultants, incorporated from Cyprus. Staff reviewed uh, the proposals based on conformance to the RFP, familiarity with the local area, qualifications of the team, relevant experience of personnel that would be assigned to our projects, uh, our projects um, understanding, similar experience in the water industry, cost and relevant techniques. Coldwell Banker is, was a local firm, however, they did not conform to the RFP. Hamner, Jewel and Associates in San Luis Obispo County lacked familiarity with San Bernardino County and the high desert. Both Epic Land Solutions and Paragon Partner Consultants received high scores on staff evaluations. Interviews were re requested from both firms during which specific questions and projects scenarios were discussed. Based on the proposal, interview, and presentation, it was determined that Epic would offer the best value and representation for the agency. Epic has extensive experience in the water industry for both on-call and relevant projects that MWA requires. Their portfolio includes similar experiences working with AVAC, Coachella Valley Water District, Los Angeles Department of Water and Power, Orange County Water District and Metropolitan Water District on large, infra large infrastructure projects. In addition to their experience, EPIC offers comprehensive services including project management, negotiation, and acquisition skills for both on and off market sales. 
This expertise um, extends to temporary and permanent construction easements as well as utility easements for existing utilities. Additionally, they provide appraisal services, escrow coordination, issue resolution, compliance and due diligence, as well as legal documentation preparation that they will be providing for the agency. Uh, currently, the agency has an immediate need for um, real estate consultants to help staff acquire um, easements and right-of-ways for existing monitoring wells. The cost for these services is estimated to be about $30,000 for the re remaining fiscal uh, year, 23-24. In the next several fiscal years, staff anticipates the agency will acquire approximately three properties per year. These properties would be used for future recharging, recharge facilities, well monitoring, and other needs of the agency. Staff also anticipates the need to acquire approximately 10 easements for future and existing facilities related to the agency's pipelines and wells. The cost associated with these required services is approximately $160,000 annually. As indicated on the previous slide, there's an immediate need for these types of services for the current fiscal year in the amount of $30,000. This request was not budgeted in the approved budget, but there are adequate funds to cover the request in the fiscal year 23-24 budget. Additionally, if this request is authorized by the Board of Directors, staff will budget for a real estate consultant in the amount not to exceed $160,000 annually for the next three fiscal years, uh, through fiscal year 26-27. Uh, the recommendation, um, Staff requests the committee review this item and recommend forwarding to the Board of Directors for approval of the following. Staff recommends the Board of Directors consider entering into an on-call professional services agreement with Epic Land Solutions in an amount not to exceed $30,000 for the remaining fiscal year 23-24 budget with the option to renew for up to three additional one-year periods for an amount not to exceed $160,000 annually through fiscal year 24-25, fiscal year 25-26, and fiscal year 26. button to work. All right, there we go. Touchy. Um, uh, I have like a host of little common questions here. So um, how is it 10 a year you're looking for or 10? Um, 10 easements per, per year. Per year is the ones you're trying to go acquire on facilities already existing and then three new Three new, uh, yeah, three properties new, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, okay. and that's just just an estimate. So I was going to ask approximately how many of these easements are out, or how many uh, monitoring facilities do we not have easements for? Um, well, approximately two thirds of the uh, monitoring wells are with um, without easements. Right, and is, what is that number? Is that um, seventy five, or is it how many? Well, we have monitoring well sites are, are 200 and number 220. So two thirds of that. And those monitoring wells were the ones owned by Mojave. We have the appropriate easements or not necessarily. Okay. And then there's going to be what private wells that we have odd arrangements. 
So a number of the wells are Rossa wells. Those are the regional aquifer something, something that the USGS drilled in the early 90s. So the USGS drilled them and they had done handshake agreements with a number of these property owners at the time to monitor the aquifer at the time. So these Rossa wells MWA took over in the early 90s and we continue to monitor those wells, but we don't have appropriate easements. And realizing we may not get all or we might not be able to afford them all. Um, is, have you gone through a thought process of prioritizing? We have prioritized like the most expensive wells. So the nested monitoring wells, the ones that give us good data. Um, we, we've, we've been working on this since I began a laundry list. And what last year, the year before we put together a really complete easement list of all of the monitoring wells that we don't have an easement for, all of the monitoring wells that are high priority. And then we've also begun replacing some of those monitoring wells like the Arrowhead well um, and filling data gaps like the Hellendale well. And one more, and Lucerne. Now, and I'll add that, I mean, outside the monitoring uh, well issue, we have facilities. I mean, uh, we had a turnout facility, for example, on the Mojave River pipeline. Um, that was uh, a turnout to high desert power project we didn't have an easement for. And so uh, one of those things that we closed up via um, a crossing consent agreement with the solar company that acquired some property there was grant as an easement. So we recognize that we have pipeline, we have facilities that are not covered under either property that we own um, via you know the actual land or, or easement. So this is a risk. Uh, it's a big risk. I mean, it's not a bit necessarily a big risk, but it's a wide-ranging risk. I and mean, we've got it. We've got this issue sort of everywhere, and it's a matter of prioritizing what. Um, when is it a concern? They, I think, uh, staff has lost access to some property, especially when there's a, a transfer of ownership, and the new owner says, "Yeah, I don't want you on my property." That was a well that we were monitoring, or we we, we owned. Uh, which is problematic. And so it's, uh, I think those types of issues will raise the, um, uh, you know, something to the forefront in terms of what we need to address. Um, but th this is a, a large, a large topic. Right. Right. And so I'm, you know, a lot of, I just went through a big exercise like this myself and it, it's interesting how, um, through BidNet you, you got four different firms than the three I got. None of the ones that bid on my project bid on yours and vice versa. Um, <laughs> But uh, things come to mind like the prescriptive rights and um, the Uniform Act and limited title searches needed as opposed to full-blown things. And then there's government patents that might still exist in some areas. So when you um, mentioned about legal assistance in the project, is that just for Platt and legal maps or is that actually for... That would be for uh, preparation, preparation of legal and, and so... In these future years, you might consider, you know, this is what I ended up doing because my project was so huge that first it was, you know, assess what assess what we have, where we're missing stuff, what kind of easement it might take or what kind of instrument it might need. And then, um, you know, now you got the big picture and then you can start to pick away on those priorities or maybe the easier low-hanging fruit. Um so I'm not sure about this particular firm because I wasn't involved in any of the review, but um, on my project, we also had him have, a, you know, a legal specialist on the team so that when it came to the scenario of 
you know, the eminent domain, at least the firm Epic in this case had done everything according to how that attorney would have it done. So you don't get to the end and you're starting over. Um, but also on the pipelines, um, maybe there's something that can be done um, because of the prescriptive right there. Um, I think we're going to want to maybe, this is just my opinion, um, you know, we might want to be kind of aggressive and get after it because the longer we delay, the more costly these things will become, right? Um, so one of my questions was just how are you going to tackle that big list, cost versus benefit, right? And the easy versus the difficult. Looking at this number here, 160000 for approximately 10, that, that seems a little high to me um, just for an easement. So just being conscious of these costs because 200 of them is going to become quite unaffordable. Um, and that does, just so we're clear, probably does not include the cost of an easement or a right-of-way. This right. is just the legwork to get you to signing a document, right? So there's some, uh, and Christy was involved in uh, reviewing my RFP, and there were some kind of interesting things that came out of it um, with some processes that are helpful. One they use called check in hand, where the board could authorize a floor, you know, and, and at least you, they can have that check in their hand when they're trying to get these signatures. It makes it easier than going back around. Like we had an agreement, now we don't. Now they're thinking about it. It's like grab it. Um, so this is a really, really big task to tackle. I think it's a, you know, obviously it's very important. Um, it's how we're going to do it. And um, let's see if I had anything else. Uh, da -da. I think a special counsel on this might be um, appropriate. And then are there any lands that are on BLM, do you know? Um, yes, the Morongo, the Morongo Basin Pipeline does run through some BLM land, yeah, so and I'm working just, on those permits right now. So you can forget about that. You won't, you won't be doing permits with BLM. No, those um, are right, right of ways, rental. Right. Well, now they want reclamation bonds for the life of the permit. So um, those are untenable, and unless we can get some sort of um, action, I know that Bighorn Desert View was not allowed to get an exemption from that. I don't know if Mojave is, but I tried to fight this battle some years ago and there wasn't any interest on the pipeline, even though it was in effect. Um, so just be careful with the BLM. I'm working something through Congress, but I don't know how long it's gonna take. Anyways, those are my comments. I think this is very useful. Se several and of our wells are on BLM land and we did have a, we did manage to get a permit for those. Yeah, so I just tried last year. I had one in hand, and that's when this these reclamation bonds came up. And maybe for a dot on a map, but this was for one acre of a linear alignment, and it was it was something like twenty or thirty thousand a year for thirty years for nothing. Uh, we appreciate that. We'll and keep so, that in mind. Yeah. So the offer is to give the entire half section to the water company, rather than just give us an alignment in a dirt road. But anyhow, that's all my comments. Thank you, Chair. Great. Yeah, I'm very much for this. Want this to go before the board. I uh, definitely need to get this taken care of. So I'm, I'm, hundred um, percent in favor of it. Okay. Um, I just have a couple questions. The uh, 
the initial approval is for $30,000, and then the other approval is to go for three years, which I'm sure will come in the budgets in the future years. Um, does a, Do you have discretion when a task comes up that you can approve so much for them to do the work, or does each time it has to come before? Under this before? authority. So if, if, you, if, if the, um, the, 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 the board takes action on an item authorizing up to a certain amount, we have at the staff level the authority to issue task orders, and, and it's a time and materials contract, so it's as things come up. Okay, so like if you're checking, that if they're going to do some work on a well site for right. 2500 bucks, you can approve that? Yes, okay. up to that okay. that aggregate amount. So as soon as it, be, it exceeds that, we'll be coming back to the board for further authorization if need be. And we don't anticipate that they would be working on any projects that might come up. This is specifically for catch-up right-of-way work? Um, no, it's it's for projects. So if something new would come up, so there's the specifically identified then? There's a potential if master planning work suggests we need to be acquiring some property somewhere. We could use them. And in that case, um, I'd have to confer with um, finance, but we may be able to capitalize some of those costs associated with those okay. as and, well. And, and with regards to legal, uh, whatever their name is now, our attorneys, they like to get involved with the land stuff. So and yeah, they, they we, know we, a lot about it. Yeah, we would definitely it. run, run So over any. the years, we've bought a lot of land. And the last thing is, were there unit costs similar to what the other folks had uh, sent in with their proposals? Yes. So it's it very, wasn't... very similar. Okay. All right. So, yeah, um, you have no problem moving this forward to oh, the no. board for approval? Okay. So let's move it forward to the board. Sounds good. And then Thank unless, you, Christy. Thank you. Unless directed otherwise, we'll include it as discussion for discussion, not under consent. Is that, is that the... You know, direction? being that the total is over a half a million for, what, three years... Yeah, maybe that should go. What do you think? That calendar. <laughs> well, it'll be on budget, though. Yeah, that's the board doesn't. Yeah, this is an easy one. Okay. Right away, consultant. And again, we have to remember that if a board member does want to hear more about this, they can ask to have it pulled from okay. consent. So put on the consent. That that'll that'll be good. Thank you. It's going to come back every year anyway. Um, okay, now the, now the big one. How many slides are there in your presentation, Wesley? 29. 29, okay. One minute per each slide. Can you be done by 11? Wait, we have traveling I think first. I think Tessa oh, yeah. is up first. Okay, all right. Yeah, we have the traveling screen. Um, discuss amendment and fee increase for the Mojave River traveling screen project. One just keeps coming back, doesn't it? We're, we're almost there. I'll briefly introduce this. This has been through, you know, changes not just with us and staff, um, but also at um, at with our consultant. They, there's been a change in project manager, um, DWR, of course, with their review period. So this has been really extended. Um, I think Tesfaye will will do a fantastic job running through exactly what uh, scope amendments or uh, the change order really is. Um, but was very careful to make sure that this was actually, you know, the, the, what we're paying for, what we're authorizing is what was essentially the cause of either the agency or um, the, the length of the project and not because of, you know, our consultants. So uh, with that, um, please take it away. Thank you, General Manager Adnan. Uh, the title as shown here is Discuss Amendment Number 3 to the 
contract with Carlo and authorization for a fee increase for the Mojave uh, River Pipeline uh, traveling screen project. I have here with me agency uh, uh, consultant, uh, Kerry, as well as you know, Mike, for the continuity of history in case you know, uh, there are some missing. Uh, my presentation agenda looks uh, project location. I will provide also brief background to, with emphasis on the preliminary and final design uh, issues encountered during the design phase, as well as Carol's uh, request for amendment number three, followed by MWA staff review of the request and the recommendation. Uh, most of you know this project. In fact, this is the eighth time this project has been in front of this uh, committee. Uh, you know, the project is located at the California Aqueduct at the beginning of the Mojave River pipeline. Uh, regionally, from transportation corridor perspective, it's located south of uh, Highway 18 to the west of 395, as well as uh, northwest of Interstate 15. Uh, this uh, map provides a more detailed uh, view of the project, including the footprint. I would like you to just emphasize that this project involves work within the California aqueduct, and uh, this has uh, extensive involvement of DWR during the review process for this project. Uh, their review was not limited to within the right-of-way, but it also included on agency right-of-way, such as the control building because of the controls, SCADA electronics, uh, any pipe uh, change. Now, the main purpose of this project, as you know, is it allows us to screen the full capacity of the Mojave River pipeline. We do not have that capacity at the moment. And the additional benefit is you know, being able to add another recharge fa facility as well as future expansion uh, to the east. Uh, for a detailed list of uh, meetings as well as board actions taken on this project, you can find in the staff report, I would be addressing two key components that are relevant to the design phase of the project. The first one initiated uh, the commencement of the preliminary design uh, that was completed in December 2020 uh, by identifying uh, the preferred alternative and the parameters for the final design. Now, my main presentation here is for the final design and the bid phase surfaces, which was approved by the Board of Directors on March 11, 2021, uh, for the amount not to exceed $475,000. This is uh, through authorization number two, and it required Carolo to complete the design within a year, uh, and by March 31st, 2022, as you can uh, you know, no, it is still in progress and the project has been delayed for over two years than originally planned. Uh, some of the issues accounted for these delays are lengthy reviews and comments by DWR, a total of eight submit, uh, submittals and uh, associated revisions were 
uh, uh, took place, whereas uh, standard public agency review would be anywhere between two, two and four. Uh, this plus also you know, COVID and associated inflation or material supply uh, has some of the information need to be updated uh, frequently. You know, uh, had we went out earlier, you know, that updates might not be uh, necessitated and this is related to coordination with uh, vendors. Uh, of course, the main important is the uh, project management staffing changes at both MWA and DWR. So on November 16, uh, 2023, Carolo informed MWA that they do not have sufficient funds in their contract uh, to complete the bid phase services. And MWA requested an explanation and they provided a proposal that dated uh, uh, January 23rd, 2024, uh, indicating that they have performed out of scope for uh, works during the design phase in an effort to keep the project um, uh, move forward as a reason. So following the receipt of the uh, proposal, staff met internally, reviewed, and then engaged uh, Carolo as well and discussed uh, those out of scope items. Uh, the revised proposal dated February 14, 2024 is included in the staff report and those items as indicated are weekly progress meeting, uh, DWR design plans and specifications, additional vendor coordination, Tesco for uh, you know, SCADA controls, electrical uh, components, IWS for the traveling screen, additional final uh, plan specification and uh, engineering cost, as well as uh, grant funding report, additional revision of front-end specification, uh, additional coordination for the three-phase power supply directly from uh, Southern California, Edison. Uh, the last bullet item was not included in the January 23rd proposal, however, they included in the revised one. So uh, based on the February 12 meeting, uh, uh, I will go over a, brief, a, a tabular summary of these out-of-scope items. The detailed discussion of these items is provided in the staff report as well. Uh, the first one is week, uh, weekly progress meeting. Um, Carlo uh, completed the final design in June 2023, whereas you know, DWR approval was obtained in December 2023. So there, there was a six month gap in between and during this time, MWA uh, kept having a meeting with Carlo in order to make sure each uh, concerns from DWR addressed and we get you know, uh, project approval. So staff concurs with this uh, cost. With regard to the DWR design plans and specifications, uh, staff agrees that eight uh, submittals and uh, related uh, revisions are too excessive. However, about four of them should be anticipated as part of the original scope. For this, uh, uh, you know, the agreement was a reduced fee as shown here, $18,224.50. Uh, uh, the 
Additional vendor coordination with Tesco and IWS staff concurs as well. Uh, Carolo performed above and beyond what is required in the original contract. Uh, when it comes to the final plan, specification and engineering, as well as uh, assistance on grant funding progress report, uh, there is a shared responsibility because there was changes in project management staffing, both at MWA as well as uh, Carolo, and uh, staff agreed to the reduced fee as shown here, uh, $6,307.50. Uh, the front-end specification component, that one is purely requested by MWA, and the staff agrees to that one being as an out-of-scope work. Um, for the three-phase power supply feasibility directly from uh, Edison, and you know, that has been uh, analyzed, and it is costly, or it is better to utilize existing method to convert two-phase into three-phase. The last one, uh, which is still uh, outstanding uh, for the bid phase services, it was included in the revised uh, proposal uh, dated February, uh, February 2014, uh, uh, 2024. Uh, staff uh, disagreed this one because it's included in the original scope authorized by the board. Overall, um, Carolo requested about 90,602 and 86,000, and we uh, have agreed on 55,278,000 for this additional fee request, which indicates a reduction of over 35,000. The requested amount of 55278 is within the capital budget for fiscal year 2023-24. Uh, As such, there is no impact to the budget by authorizing this uh, fee request. Recommendation, a staff requests the committee review this item and recommend forwarding to the board of directors for approval of the following. Staff recommends the Board of Directors approve amendment number three to the contract with Carolo Engineers Inc. and authorize a fee increase to the design and bid phase services for the Mojave River Pipeline traveling screen project in the amount not to exceed $55,278. Thank you. Thank you for the update. Um, Marina, do you have any comments? No, just that I understand we need to be flexible in our <clears throat> flexible in budgeting and overall when other projects stall out and other we're at the mercy of others. I can't believe they did eight reviews on something that's already existing somewhere on the aqueduct, but that's the DWR. Had to pay for a man man year on that one. Next page. Nothing. Um, so the, the crux of this, instead of paying four seventy five, we're now going to pay five thirty. Five thirty to okay. seventy eight. And that that's the end of their uh, design effort. Yes, this will take us to bid and then receive bid. They will prepare conformity specification. So it's just m making sure we're ready for the project. Okay, good. Good. We negotiated that though, and they they were acceptable to the negotiation. So that worked out pretty good. Yes. Um, I think this can go on the consent calendar. We all concur yes. to the board. So 
Okay. I will just say that we, we because of the timely need to get this done sooner than later, we we actually have it on the board uh, agenda for this Thursday, which I don't typically do. We'll usually wait at least a week. Um, and so it's listed as a discussion item. Uh, it, At the beginning, we could change the agenda. Yes, if you'd like, yes. Yeah. Um, it's nice to see that amount of detail. There were no questions. Thank it you. It wouldn't be specific. Thank I mean, you. Okay, four versus eight submittals. Obviously, that's a cost increase. Just on the time duration. I mean, so the, it was complete. That's good. Easy item. This one, next one, not so easy. Um, <clears throat> Maybe we should put this on its own separate meeting. <laughs> anyway, Wes is going to do his best. Discuss awarding a professional service agreement to Geoscience Support Services for West Victorville Groundwater Banking Pilot Test Project. Uh, I'll give this over to Wesley. Yeah, and I'll just briefly introduce um, the board is aware of the uh, the twelve million or so dollar grant that we received from the Department of Water Resources. Um, this is really putting that grant to work towards the pilot study, and then eventually rolling into the kind of the full scale facility recharge recovery along the West Victorville uh, Aqueduct area. So, with that, um, you know, staff had a proposal out; they received proposals. I've been told it was a, a good uh, response. Really, you know, it's challenging always to make a um, selection when you've got such qualified proposers on a job. Um, but um, with that, I want to hand it over to Wes to explain. Thank you, General Manager. And uh, as Mike said, the, the, the title of this is Discuss Awarding a Contract to Geoscience Support Services <coughs> Incorporated for the West Victorville Groundwater Banking Pilot Test. So I'll give you a little bit of a background again. Uh, I will explain why a pilot test uh, felt like it was necessary to move forward with our banking program, uh, give a brief project overview and the schedule, and talk about the contract award amount and potential total project costs, and then hopefully we have a short discussion. I'll try to move as fast as possible given how long the meeting has gone today. All right, so background, uh, in February 13th, so almost four years ago, the Board of Directors authorized Kennedy Jenks to begin a groundwater banking feasibility study. This was building off of the previous, I think, 2002 metropolitan study, some additional managed aquifer uh, recharge work that Todd Groundwater did. Um, and then in 2022-2023, we were awarded $12.8 million through the Urban Community Drought Relief Program grant funding opportunity. This money is specifically for a groundwater banking pilot test. And then October 17th of last year, we released an RFP to conduct this study. So um, we conducted interviews for the four different teams of firms that proposed in January 8th and 9th. Uh, we did have a period of negotiation with the firm that we selected, and now we are here on February 20th to discuss the contract award. Okay. All right, so these are the costs of the four teams that proposed. Uh, DUDEC at Three and a half million, Wood Rogers and their team at four point two, Geoscience Support Services and their team at four and a half, 
and Kennedy Jenks at about 6.4 million to conduct the work. Um, we felt that Dudek's scope in general was light. They didn't propose a detailed enough study that we felt to, to do the work that we needed to, to site wells in a complex environment. Um, the other three proposals were very competitive. Um, ultimately, Wood Rogers, during the interview process, it became apparent that they were a little inexperienced with this type of project and these types of problems. Um, Kennedy Jenks did very well. Geoscience did very well. However, they were so close, it was hard to kind of justify the additional $1.8 million in additional fees for Kennedy Jenks. So we felt we would get a similar work product for a discounted price by going with geoscience. So why groundwater banking? Uh, it's part of our imported water management policy that was adopted by the board in August 2023. It allows us to maintain pre-stored water in our aquifers and then distribute it throughout the, the uh, service area as needs arise. Additionally, it opens up our service area for outside partners to manage regional water supply and bring in new water and revenue sources for the agency. So these two slides that are coming up are kind of my favorite. It's really outlines something that gets talked about every time we talk about banking. We have an inconsistent natural supply. We are waiting for periods of flooding in the Mojave River during periods of drought in the desert. We're reliant on the state water project to bring in additional water to our agency. You can see over time the reliability of that water supply is declining. And you get more violent swings between peaks and valleys with the availability of supply, which also is an, an opportunity for us to do the buy low, sell high. And then the impact of those two kind of dynamic systems in an area that has consistent demand for groundwater is when there is not new supply or water being imported or natural recharge through our river, our groundwater declines uh, begin to get steeper and steeper over time. So groundwater banking put, or what's we need to invest into it, in order to conduct groundwater banking, we need to build and invest in new infrastructure. This will provide new tools to manage the region's violent swings in imported water availability, and it assures stability for the sustained use by its citizens. Uh, this looks like it is right by OPS. So this is probably during the testing of recharge at, at the, is that the Deep Creek facility, Tony? Yep. The take for groundwater banking, so what we get out of it, is additional imported water supply at no additional cost after these facilities have been created. It creates an additional revenue stream for MWA. It provides additional operational flexibility through expanded recharge and recovery and conveyance facilities to manage our own supply and our own Table A for our service area. It also provides an opportunity for new full-time jobs in the high desert as we build new facilities, we will need new people to help maintain them. In short, it allows us to harness inconsistent imported water supply to create consistent delivery capacity across our service area. So why a pilot test? 
This is the Kennedy Jenks study again. To date, we've spent nearly $800,000 on the study that's bringing us to the partner outreach and preliminary design phase. Um, that partner outreach has led to three very big questions that keep getting asked over and over again by potential partners. What is the water quality of recovered groundwater at the site? And what management tools and costs will need to be deployed to manage this? What are the actual recharge and recovery rates at the proposed site? And will those rates justify the cost of a full-scale project development? How will the aquifer respond to cycles of recharge and recovery? What are the impact on stakeholders and local users? And how will water quality change over time as we put water in and take it out? These are questions that with the appropriate data inputs, we can update our upper Mojave River groundwater model and begin to answer for our potential partners. So the project overview, how will MWA answer these questions and leverage proposed new facilities? I hope you guys remember this slide <laughs> from the workshop I did on this. But these facilities, is a, it's a series of about six monitoring wells, two production wells, a new hopefully 40-acre uh, recharge site, and tie-ins to the Mojave River Pipeline and the California Aqueduct. This will allow us to store water in the West Victorville site, pump it out, and move it whether it's downstream along the Mojave River pipeline or put it back in the aqueduct and take it to the Morongo Basin pipeline and send it down to Joshua Tree. Uh, additionally, it could be used for external partners to bank with us and we can put water back in the aqueduct for them. I just want to add before you move on, um, we don't have the facility yet, but if you develop a recharge basin in a West Day, you could also send it that way too. So this kind of connects everything together and uses existing infrastructure, which is the aqueduct in our service area. So the project overview, it's gonna start with data gathering and baseline monitoring. So we'll establish what the baseline conditions are at the site before we start putting water in the ground and take it out. Um, it will also do a final site feasibility investigation, so shallow geophysics and geotechnical drilling that will confirm that the site is appropriate for a spreading basin. Then we will do monitoring while drilling and an expanded geophysical investigation, and we'll develop and update our hydrogeologic conceptual model for this area. Um, after that, we'll design and construct recharge basins, monitoring wells, production wells, and the appropriate pipeline alignments and necessary appurtenances. Um, after that, they will all be equipped and start running, and we'll do a long-term uh, test and monitoring and reporting. It's about six years of put-and-take cycles to kind of see how this, this aquifer will respond to this type of operation. So I'm just gonna highlight a few of the components that I think are exciting. Um, if you remember Tony and I's spaghetti versus Swiss cheese model for the area, this expansive geophysical investigation will help us actually look at what the subsurface looks like in detail in this area, create 3D slices, and look at where we need to site recovery wells and recharge basins. Additionally, these data will be used to update a uh, a lot of cross-sections have already been done in the area. These will be put into the model to create a more realistic conceptual model of how the aquifer is constructed and therefore how it will behave when water is put in it. 
And then lastly, and very critical to this project, is additional grant funding support for this project. It's going to include um, a map that will look at all of the upcoming funding opportunities, prioritize the ones that fit this project the best, and provide the support that, G or, uh, that MWA needs to go after this grant funding. Additionally, they'll provide grant administration support. Uh, these types of grants can get more and more complex as you bring in different money sources. And right now, I think Beth is the only one that's in charge of that, and she's already overwhelmed. So this will provide some relief for her. It'll also help with our application services, so they're going to help us write and produce the material needed to go after these uh, different funding sources. And the project schedule, so we're, we're at today, February 20th, so firm selection to committee. Uh, we hope that all of the design and drilling and construction is done in four years, so quarter one of 2028. Uh, and then that same quarter, hopefully, we can begin the long-term testing. And the entire pilot test project will be wrapped up by 2034. However, the hope is that at the end of the development of the conceptual model, we'll begin to start answering those questions for external partners and progress the project on the larger picture as it moves forward. And then as we get more data from the testing, we can update that model and continue answering more detailed questions as they come in. The financial impact, the total proposed cost of the requested work is $4.8 million. This is after the kind of project scope negotiations that we had with geoscience. Um, there's also an option for additional geophysical investigations if we feel that we need the data for $312,671. So the total may increase to $5,128,305 if deemed necessary. However, the total project build-out costs may exceed $40 to $50 million once you include the earthwork removal for the recharge basin, pipelines, two production wells, and six monitoring wells. Right now, we have about 25% of the costs secured from grant funding through the Urban Community Drought Relief Grant, and we are aggressively pursuing additional funding sources as they come up. Staff requests the committee review this item and recommend forwarding it to the Board of Directors for approval of the following. Staff recommends that the Board of Directors authorize awarding a professional services agreement contract to Geoscience Support Services Incorporated in the amount not to exceed $4,815,634 with an option for additional geophysical investigations that could increase the total to an amount not to exceed $5,128,305 if deemed necessary. Okay, that was pretty good, Wesley. That was quick. Thank you. You know, these numbers, like 5128305 how do you get that exact number like that? Is that, that's pretty accurate. Yeah, so we get it. Round up with the pennies? <laughs> I think so. Um, it's just the detailed cost analysis that we get from the proposing teams. That shows you have a lot of detail then. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Um, Mr. Page. Yes, we must have started talking about this 10 years ago. And 10 years ago, I was for this and excited about it. And nothing has um, changed. 
some of the things that have changed with it is at one time we thought we would be um, having to come up with all the funds ourselves. I was so excited a year or so ago when I heard that there was a very good possibility that because of our area that we might be able to get most of this funded, if not all, in grant funding. Um, I am, I'm just so pleased um, that we're this far. I wish we were five years ahead of where we are today, but we're moving along. Um, I want this to go uh, before the board or consent calendar, whatever we decide to do. We, we need to move forward. Thank you. Rena? <laughs> um, so with, you had changed slide five on us, but um, I think I figured it out. So they're about the same cost per hour as uh, Kennedy Jenks when you broke it down in the previous published uh, slide. Yeah, I so, changed that slide because it wasn't comparing apples to apples. I realized some of them included the hours of their sub-consultants and some of them a lump sum, so that's why... Instead of trying to untangle that nest, I just went with the cost. But but approximately the same cost per hour is what I, you showed there, approximately. When I had all of the hours from the subs in for geoscience, it dropped it to about $200 an hour. Okay. So I didn't have all the data then. And then I realized when I looked at some of the other proposals that they just had lump sums, and it just got messy. So. Got messy. Okay. Well, I think what my overall comment was going to be that um, the staff report was very well written <clears throat> that accompanied the presentation. And, um, and I think it's good to point out that we're looking for excellence in work, not necessarily excellence in you know, getting past a poorly written proposal. Um, so I appreciate that you saw something there. I think that came out of the interviews, not necessarily in the written document, which in some cases are written by, you know, the group that's sort of marketing, right? And um, I think it does demonstrate that we have a pretty robust ranking and selection process. It's always difficult to um, look at these costs and say, oh, it's okay to pay more. But we really need to hone in on what we're getting for that dollar, and that's just what sets apart professional services. We went through this exercise a few months ago. Um, <clears throat> and it's good to see the work spread out, too. Um, had we piled it all on the same consultant, maybe, maybe they'd find trouble getting it all done, right? Because I think Wood Rogers has a huge scope of work with us currently. Um, and I just had one question on that slide 10. It was the well um, graph there. And uh, where where is that well? Is it in this general area? That one. Is this, is this Rock Springs, Tony? And then the next question about it is on these peaks. Why do they all look the same? Is that just surface? <laughs> Oh, Jess Ranch. Yeah. Uh, I just thought it was odd that all those peaks, you know, except for the latest one, are all identical. And I was wondering why that is. Is that just. Yeah. That's okay. Yep. Okay. Um, so that that was it. I know um, Director Page is a little pressed for time, but um, good presentation, and I appreciate the staff report. Uh, due diligence in that. Oh. Oh. Um, I think you kind of answered a, uh, several of my questions. So, 
this all of this currently under the 12 million grant yes and then the remainder of that grant you would use to advance yeah so in the schedule i built for myself looking at when we'll spend what money it looks like we will get through monitoring well drilling and construction with grant funds and that was up to six wells if needed? Or? Yes. Okay. And uh, that was kind of all of my detailed questions. Sorry. Okay. Um, ending with the grant. So I think when you move this forward to the board, you need to show that clearly uh, this is being paid for by a grant. Okay. Um, and also you might mention um, SB 170, which was for $180 million, still has $60 million left. Uh, for uh, groundwater, and they awarded some last year. Um, can we still? I, they don't have it. They don't have a schedule for the uh, for the solicitation for the last sixty million. But it seems to me that would be uh, with the disadvantaged communities and all that thrown in there. We would stand good for the, maybe the next phase of this this work. Um, and I would mention that to your presentation to the board that this is a this is where California is headed. They, they allocated $500 million for groundwater improvements in the state. And uh, granted, a lot of it's going to Northern California, but they don't have a, a plethora of groundwater recharge locations so, like us, so that's good. We may get some more money for that. A um, couple things. Uh, because it's a 25% difference from the low bidder to the bidder that we've selected, I think you really need to hammer, the home, hammer home the concept that Marina said, we're after quality. And if it costs a little bit more, that's okay. But I think you need to tie it to specific reasons. Why is their proposal a million dollars less? Or, why, or conversely, why is geoscience a million dollars more? Um, maybe some specific details about that that are that not, you know, don't go to add links, but say, you know, their people are well qualified, have history in this area, blah, 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 whatever it is. Because it's a 25% difference. If it was a smaller amount, then not so big. But that big a difference in awarding that amount, even under a grant fund, I think we need to justify that uh, on paper, why, why that was. And maybe the selection committee has that information. It just needs to be shared publicly when we make the award. Um, Kennedy Jenks did a, a, like Director Page said, it's been 10 years, maybe even longer. Since that project made the integrated regional management plan, it might be 30 years, 1994. I think it was on the original integrated plan, recharge really in that. So it's yeah, we didn't really commit any funding to it because we were still in the antelope wash. Um, my <laughs> like a comedy routine here. Um, so uh, Kennedy Jenks has looked at this for a long time, and my question is, when you talked about they're going to investigate all the different alternatives. If memory serves me correct, we had a whole bunch of alternatives in the Kennedy Jenks a final report. Is this tearing off those recommendations moving forward? And they were all, the recommendations were based on a number of factors. Uh, obviously, uh, perception of recharge capabilities is, is probably got to be number one. Yeah, there were there were nine sites. This is number one. Okay. All right. So that's good. We're moving forward with what we think is our best step forward. Yeah, we, we're trying to build on the pieces that were put in place before us as we move forward with this. And if we look at this particular site, we own, we acquired property that's just ripe for recharge. Um, 
it's an underused in the grand scheme of things, an underused turnout existing. So in terms of, you know, the investments to get to a scale we're talking about, not just in the pilot, but a longer or larger programming, everything sort of encouraged us to be exploring this first and, of course, supported by the Kennedy Jang study. I mean, it checks a lot of the boxes that we need for some of the adventures that we want to do with the water exchanges, importing uh, additional table A, all kinds of stuff. So, so that's good. Um, in, in the presentation, again, to the board, I might recommend that... Um, so it's April 2024 to second quarter 2026. You might want to show, okay, the first fiscal year, 24-25, these are the highlights, and it's going to cost $1.6 From 25-26, these are the things we think we're going to be doing then, and it's going to be the other X million. The, uh, some type of slide showing that. So when we authorize, when, when the board uh, votes on authorizing that amount, we know exactly what it's for. Okay, well, yeah. Even though we know in broad yeah, for the OSA recharts. Yeah, I have that done. We understand already. that. But yep. now we have specific scope. We have a consultant selected. I think some more, a little, just one slide about detail. And Garrett, you don't need some of those other things. Yes, sir. Okay. That's my, <laughs> that's my recommendation. I mean, sometimes in this, more, and I think this has to go on the approval. It's too much money to put on the consent, right? And somebody might want to talk about it. Yeah, put it on the regular board. So I think yeah, from... Ask Maria too, no, just yeah, no, I'm going to ask her next. She's next. So you agree with moving this forward? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, it seems like the right step, and we've talked about it for a long time. So uh, this will... Uh, and I think most of the staff that's involved with the uh, groundwater recharge here are in favor of this this particular type of project for the OSDA area. I mean, we could build a pipeline over there from uh, RQ or maybe so the Mar that Morongo. That brings up a question. I don't know. Okay, so, at, yeah, move this forward. At the Thank end you of the, again. At the end of the staff report, you say fiscal impact, the total build-out is expected to be 40 or 50. That's such a magical number today. <laughs> is, is that the whole, whole, whole project or each individual? That is this pilot test. Uh, okay. It's a 40-acre recharge basin, so that's a lot of dirt removal and pipeline alignments and things like that. So, yeah. I was getting optimistic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. We like 40 or 50 million. That, oh, I thought yeah. it was the whole How package. much was the Morongo Basin? 40 million. Uh, yeah. this, How much was the River? 50 million. There you go. Yeah. 40 quite a bit of recharge, but if we wanted to, let's say, amp up the recovery capacity, we'd probably need to install a lot more wells, um, given the, the hydrogeology there. Okay. Uh, moving right along to updates. I'm going to read who's next or... So I'll go ahead. Um, we'll do water resource update. We'll, we'll try to be uh, as quick as we can with these updates to uh, to get us done here. But Jerry, go ahead with the water resources update. Jerry. Hi. Good morning. Thank you. Okay, so on February 5th through 9th, we had Balanced Hydrologics come down and install two string gauges, one in Sheep Creek Wash and one in Cane Wash. So up here we have Sheep Creek Wash, and down here we have uh, Cane Wash. 
And then here's some general direction or general area where they're at. So over here, you're going to see Sheet Creek Wash over in the Phelan area. And then in the Baja area, you'll see Cane Wash. And then the first stream gauge they worked on was at Sheep Creek Wash. And this is at the Phelan Road Bridge in the Phelan area. Uh, it was during that big um, storm we were having. I believe it was second or third day of it. And then the day before this, they actually told me that they couldn't get in here because the wash was completely full of uh, flow. And this is just the day after. So they said it infiltrated the ground a little bit. Another thing that happened that I wasn't expecting personally is that it did snow and I was not dressed for this. So it was not fun after an hour. <laughs> and here I got a video of the snow coming down. And on the right here was a picture that Melody actually caught of us actually in the wash on the county website, I believe. I can barely see it, but proof that we were there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then I thought um, a couple cool things before they actually installed the whole station was that they had some parts that were out. And I got a couple of pictures here. The taping bucket, which is also called the rain gauge and the data box, which is like the brain of the station, the stream gauge. This is the finished product at the Phelan Road Bridge. So here we have the finished stream gauge. We have the tipping bucket over here. We have the solar panel. It has an antenna, transmit data, the box, and then right here it has a camera as well. And then under the bridge itself, it has a velocity radar sensor and this will tell us how much flow is passing through whenever there is flow. The next one they installed was at Cane Wash in the Baja area. Uh, here are some photos of the area where they installed it. The stream gauge itself is actually was put on um, a cliff over here. This is all um, basalt from basaltic lava flow. And then right here on the bottom right is where they actually installed the rain gauge. We picked a spot that there wasn't too much basalt. It was a little flat and it would be easy to dig if they needed to install in the surface. Here's the finished product of the stream gauge on cane wash. This one looks a little different because it has this circular thing. <laughs> this is actually okay, called the windscreen. And it acts as a wind damper and helps minimize the effect of wind on the rain measurements. And then you'll see that the rain gauge is in the middle here, the tipping bucket. Um, they did do a camera. They had the whole stream gauge station right here. And then the camera is over here. And it's actually um, able to capture any flow that comes up through here. And then the only thing to note on this is that it is missing one piece to it, and that's called the bubbler system. And that's going to be used to measure the water level by detecting pressure required to force through a submerged tube. Uh, Balance Hydrologics will be in next week to finish this up. 
and then also to install a few more uh, stream gauges as well. And then we will be getting, uh, be able to access data online of any um, flow and then the rain gauge information as well. They're still working on that, but it should be up hopefully soon. Any questions? Mr. Burns, what? forgot to introduce yourself. Um, on that slide 11 there, I think it is, uh, is, is that the completion? Is that, that's done? Is it what? That's, that's completed? It's completed, but it's missing the bubbler system. So the bubbler system is going to go over the cliff and into the wash. So when it does flow, it will pick that up and record it, and we can check that data. So almost okay. completed. We got one more week. <laughs> so my comment here is, um, I don't know, there's something about this installation that doesn't give me a lot of comfort regarding vandals, high wind, a lot of water running down. <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, it doesn't really show in the pictures all that great, but this is up on top of the cliff. This is not down in the wash itself. And we actually did some field recon before this location was selected and one of the idiot hydrogeologists actually climbed up that cliff at great peril. I won't say who. <laughs> anyway, and I can, I can say that uh, there's no roads nearby. The only way to get there is to actually climb up the cliff. To, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to get to. So um, we're hoping <laughs> that vandalism is minimal. Of course, this is the high desert, so... But it, it's kind of out of sight. So the, so the, the dirt road that goes up Cane Wash is down at the bottom right. of the cliff so you can't see this from the main road you have to go way out and around up on top of the cliff so again we're hoping vandalism will be minimal yeah when i took this picture too it was um a few days after they finished the install and i couldn't find it <laughs> it took me like a good hour to figure out exactly where it was from the road we were on all right let's gps it the bobcats <laughs> will find it first huh uh, the bobcats will find it. It'll be one of those well, flashy they things won't on the hill. Rip the metal apart. No. Hope, hoping. All right. So there it is. You'll be able to watch the vandals on camera, I guess. <laughs> um, and then the other one's kind of the same thing on the bridge there. I don't know. Things just look so attractive to people. I'm like, what is this? Let me throw some rocks in the top of this dipper bucket. What is it? A tipping bucket. Anyways, I'm glad to see we've got the stream gauges out there. And then how many were we, is this the two for this fiscal? What was the plan? What's the roadmap? Yeah, so for this year, this is probably what's going to get done with next week. And then we are in discussions right now with them to talk about expanding this and what's going to happen next. But yeah, these were the two high priority targets, getting data in Cane Wash and, and Sheep Creek. Awesome. Thank you. That's it, Chairman. Director Page. Thanks for your report, Jerry. Yeah, I think Jerry Burns, this, this is probably your first time talking or addressing this committee. So Jerry Burns sits in our water resources department, the field team. He's a water resources specialist one. So thanks, Jerry. Okay, state water project update. Christy. All right, thank you. So 
um, we have another atmospheric river uh, pushing along the entire state. Um, with That brings uh, above normal conditions, uh, nor above normal precipitation conditions. We are expected to um, clear um, clear up tomorrow through the, the next throughout the rest of the week, and um, the next the upcoming weekend will bring the next chance of rain. Temperatures are below normal for the lower two thirds of the state, bringing snow to the Sierras and our local mountains. Currently, we're at 83% of average in the northern Sierras with 26.1 inches. A wet, a wet late January and February have helped bring seasonal averages closer to the normal range. Okay. On the graph on the right, I show the wettest year, which was the 2016-17 year, water year, the driest year, which dated back to 1923-24, where we, um, where we were at last year this time and where we are currently now for perspective. Interestingly, it was exactly a full century ago that um, the driest year on record was recorded. In the central Sierras, we are at 70% of average for the oh, for mid-February. What? Okay. In the central Sierras, we're at 70% of average for mid-February with 16.1 inches. Since the start of the water year, monthly precipitation has been well below average. Uh, once again, I'm showing the wettest and driest years on the right, along with current numbers and where we were last year. In the Tulare Basin of the Southern Sierras, we are at 11.8% with 73% of average for February 13th. So far, uh, wet February has registered 1.4 over the average. We still have a few weeks to go. For on this slide, I'm comparing, I'm comparing um, last month's PREO, reservoir conditions of last month's PREO to this month. Um, Oroville gained 80,000 acre feet and is currently at 131% of average. Uh, Shasta, which is California's largest reservoir, gained 150,000 acre feet and is at 121% of average. San Luis took on another 69,000 acre feet, which puts, um, puts it at 64% of total capacity and 83% of average. Well, Christy, on, on, on this deal here on the February 2023, um, those green numbers that shows uh, that shows historical how, how much above the historical average the reservoir is in February of 2023. Yes, you know what they are today. Um, well, no, it's that's 23. We want 24. Oh. Well, this this graph was pulled February 13th. The 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 year is off. Uh, it should be 2024. So it's oh, just an error okay. on the slide. All right. Sorry. Reservoirs <laughs> are over o over their historical uh, capacity for this time of year, right? The upper reservoirs. Me, I'm still writing 2023 on my checks too. <laughs> it was a good year for water. Yeah. yeah. Well, up. actually, yeah. so this was updated um, February 13th, 2024. Okay. The upper reservoirs are above historical average, but you can start, you can see there San Luis Reservoir. Below, um, that's kind of in the story of why we have a ten percent allocation, which I'm sure Christy will so get. So, for to. instance, Shasta is right now at 122 percent above historical 
120 reservoir levels at this time. 122% of historical, so it's 22% above. Okay, that's good. They're going to start um, maybe increasing the allocation? I'll, I'll cover that a little bit towards the end of this presentation. Because all the reservoirs are above historical averages for this time of year. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, Christy. And here's a closer look at um, San Luis. Um, currently, it's at 1.3 million acre feet. So we all heard about um, the Oroville spill. Um, they, um, DWR reopened the floodgates um, on, um, they started releasing water January 31st for stormwater mitigation ahead of what was predicted to be a strong atmospheric river rolling into Northern California. Uh, the reservoir at that time was at 76% of total capacity. Um, water, water was released at about 6,000 acre feet, or C CFS. An estimated uh, 62,000 acre feet of water was released through the spillway. And I, I think DWR is trying to keep the reservoir at about um, three quarter percent capacity uh, to avoid what happened in 2017 when they had to evacuate nearly 180,000 people downstream. Currently, the reservoir is at 80%. So a month ago, both the northern and central Sierras were at 29% of the April 1st average, and in the south, it was just 18%. Checking these numbers today, um, now they're at 70%, um, 60%, and 55% of the April 1st average, anywhere between 37 and 40% increase in the snowpack. And currently, statewide, the snowpack is at 61% um, of average. The April 1st date is important as it is what DWR considers the deepest um, snowpack before it starts to melt. Date April 1st, yeah, the April 1st date is important. They're comparing everything against the April 1st date uh, because it considered, DWR considers it's the deepest before it starts to melt. Okay. Um, no allocation update at this time. Uh, we have um, Article 14B, no, no status update from DWR at this time. Article 14B is the water um, that we get because um, the state has local outages. Um, so we continue to deliver Article 12E water, which was about 1,084 acre feet. The Article 14B water was um, in the amount of 3,333 acre feet. And that's it. Uh, just before we go to discussion, a couple key takeaways. Um, one, if you go back to the uh, San Luis, well, the reservoir storage. So yes, most of the upper reservoirs are healthy, but um, San Luis Reservoir is below historical average, and that's largely driven. This is a joint use facility between State Water Project and Central Valley Project. Uh, the State Water Project is a large contributor to it being below historical average. So um, actually the CVP is at or close to their um, storage level and they may be surcharging into the state's share of the San Luis Reservoir. A um, couple things happened last year. One, um, if you recall, we were uh, going to get 
or there was potential for another Article 21 event in the fall. Um, and uh, uh, that didn't happen. And the reason it didn't happen is because it's meeting some of their requirements under the water quality control plan, the fall X2, they call it, or salinity standard in the Delta. They had to make a lot of releases from Oroville. And, um, and uh, the water cost was larger than anticipated. So uh, in retrospect, you know, they may have, if you know, wouldn't cause too much trouble, they may have changed their allocation from 100% to lower, given that, that event, but they didn't do that. What we ended up with is that uh, contractors carried over water into, the, into this year, and what was on the books for carryover wasn't physically in San Luis Reservoir. So what we've seen the, the first few months of the year is DWR moving water uh, over time to sort of pay off that accounting debt owed to San Luis Reservoir, which you're seeing here as being lower. Um, I don't anticipate an increase in allocations until that's quite done. I think we're there, or close to it, so uh, we may see that some of the atmospheric rivers and the systems coming through that result in precip and um, potential export could be good. A couple other things, though. Uh, we've seen a lot of activity. Uh, there's uh, some requirements to allow first flush based on turbidity in the delta. That kind of tied some of the hands in terms of exports, as well as what's happening on um, uh, an old middle river flow, which is right next to our export facility, a bank's pumping station. Um, that is really influenced by what's happening on the San Joaquin River, not the Sacramento River. And so we're seeing some issues there resulting in restricted or limited exports. So it's been a slow start of the year, and so you've probably been hearing about some of these activities, um, well, some of the hydrologic activity, but it's not resulting in too much water supply just yet. Uh, also, the snow water content and the snow, which is you know, the, the, the major reservoir the state has depended on for, for so long. It's not looking at, as healthy as we'd like it to look. So slow start. We're hoping, fingers crossed, that things pick up a bit towards um, March and April. That's it. Okay. State water project uh, is done then? Marina, do you have any questions about that? No, thank you. Mike, engineering update. We have one more uh, on um, the water yeah, deliveries. Yeah, yeah, I have. Sorry, Christy. Okay. <laughs> this is um this is an update of our state water project uh, water deliveries. Um, we've see, I have twenty twenty four here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. For the month of January, we delivered 487 acre feet, bringing our annual deliveries to 487 acre feet. We were delivering out of Deep Creek. Uh, we've delivered um, to Joshua Basin and um, High, um, High Desert Water District. The water we're delivering to Joshua Basin is actually storage in our name. Uh, we were able to use that recharge basin, um, and so the water they have yet to purchase any water from us. Our R cube deliveries, uh, 40 acre feet has been delivered to Liberty Utilities. Um, so far, we haven't been able to reconnect the um, R cubed that's still under construction. Questions on that? Mike? Okay, now. <laughs> Engineering update. Okay. 
All right, good morning. I'm going to give you an engineering update. Uh, this is concerning the R3 emergency leak. Uh, as you all know, it occurred uh, November 25th, 2023, Thanksgiving weekend. Construction started January 2nd, 2024. Uh, the pipeline install was complete January 31st, and then backfill was substantially complete February 9th. And we're anticipating completion of disinfection, flushing, sampling, and being put back into service uh, this week. So we should be back online by the end of the week. <clears throat> Here's a recap of the location. It's on the R-cubed alignment adjacent to the I-15 corridor and Mesa Street. Here's again a recap of the two isolation valves we were able to close in order to drain the section that was affected. Here's a recap of the uh, initial thought was to camera the line, find out where the damage was, and uh, do a simple repair with a butt strap uh, once excavated. Uh, but then information, we bought all the material for that, we were planning that, and then once we got to the point of exposing the pipeline, uh, we did a visual examination, and we thought maybe we could go into the pipe and inspect the line further. Uh, but actually the massive damage was to the east of our initial thought. Uh, this picture right here shows the initial joint that we thought was a broken weld, showing the grout pieces that were on the bottom of the pipe. So that was our initial assumption. Uh, here's our actual removing a section of three foot of the pipe to do a visual examination. Um, we went to the other side of the freeway. There was no visible issues to the west. And then we went to the east of this uh, opening, and we, that's where we saw the actual deformation at the blow-off. And the actual pipe was out of round by three inches. It was actually like an oval. So there was definitely deformation, severe deformation, just to the east of uh, the casing, thankfully. It was not under the freeway. Here's our reconstruction. We went down three foot below the pipe um, to a 95% compaction. We noticed it was very loose. Um, we, we brought it up in lifts and really compacted underneath the pipe right around this part. And then also we, we, we included the entire original bore pit uh, down 20 foot deep uh, by 40 foot long. So all of it was, uh, here's a good picture showing the original shoring uh, from our original assumptions that we were just going to do a butt strap. We then expanded the scope to the east. This is showing the excavators digging out, recompacting all the way down 20 foot deep to the extent of the original bore pit from 2012. It was all loose within that. Um, during this time, there was a pipe being manufactured, the 60-foot of pipe that we replaced. It was being fabricated in the, la in, the, in the shop. So making use of our time and the shoring and the people, uh, the contractor, we were able to util utilize that time and recompact the soil in preparation for the expanded scope. Uh, this effort was definitely needed to stabilize the uh, zone for the new pipe. So here's the picture of the pipe being fabricated. Here is the expanded shoring. 
showing the original, this was probably the original size, just a 20 by 20. We then almost tripled the length. And then also it got shallower as we got up. Uh, here's the picture of the first piece of pipe being lowered down. Uh, There's a lot of welding, a lot of inspection, a lot of geotechnical soils testing, uh, welding inspection. It was, there was a lot of inspection for this project. <clears throat> and we also, you know, expensive, com uh, extensive compaction effort was uh, especially implemented around the pipe. So this would uh, never happen again. Here's some more pictures of the welding. Here's the final butt strap on the top being welded. Here's a picture of the welds on the inside of the pipe. These were all uh, mag particle inspected on the outside, visual inspection on the inside. Uh, this is a picture from the top, uh, about six feet deep, looking down towards the original casing. Then here's a, a grout diaper down in the bottom corner. That's to ensure grout is around the uh, entire weld joint. Uh, ops crews are out there connecting the cathodic protection system. Um, this was Mike after we inspected the inside of the grout joint on the inside. And then here's some more pictures of the compaction effort uh, around the pipe at the shallow portion about six foot deep. Here's some more pictures of the handhole being installed. This is to finish the grout on the inside on the final uh, joint more pictures of the welding. Here's the uh, blow-off. They did extensive compaction around that vertical pipe to ensure there's no settling on, uh, on and around that. This is a picture of the final airbag being installed. This was the original airbag. We uh, salvaged it and were able to reuse the, the material. Uh, and then here's a picture of the flushing that happened last week. We had to flush it, chlorinate it, do all the testing, bacteria testing, and then uh, all that was positive or came back negative. So we were able to turn it on this week. Here's uh, the pipe that was replaced, about 60 foot from the casing up to the 36 inch butterfly valve. Uh, the final costs include material, equipment, labor, shoring, inspection, and chlorination. This includes the uh, work Merrill Johnson did as the welding inspector and soils tech. Uh, MWA material purchase, we bought certain butt straps, mortar, um, different things we needed, we bought. Uh, so we got the price, the pipe, and right now we're looking at about $600,000 as a total price. Uh, we're still confirming that. There's still some final costs out outline uh, rental agreements that aren't finalized yet, uh, but we hopefully get those uh, in the next couple weeks. But uh, we're looking around 600,000. Okay, thanks. Marina, got any questions? Oh, thank you though, appreciate it. I just um, wanna, before we, oh, go ahead. It, it, it's determined that the sole cause of the uh, problem was the lack of compaction in soil around the pipe? There we go. Um, at this time, that's what we are assuming what has happened or what did happen uh, without doing a lot of forensic work. 
from here on out. Uh, when we got down in that bore pit that uh, Stefan was mentioning, getting down 15, 18 feet, it was very soft, the, the soil down there. So we weren't here at the time when that was uh, put back in and compacted, but it looks like it would be But that would be natural because the uh, if it leaked, the water would evacuate around the pipe, so it would obviously not be as well compacted. Correct. And but allowed. you saw other areas that weren't impacted by the actual leak that the soil was not good? Um, further away from the leak site, yes. We found some areas that the, the ground had settled as well. When we went in and um, uh, over X, for lack of a better term, uh, we could see what was, uh, what was native and what was already dug. And so that's why we went back to that point. So we're assuming, again, that's the reason why it had settled, lack of compaction. I mean, even when you excavated to put your box and stuff in, did you exceed your original excavation so you could see that there was the OG was a little bit harder than what had been uh, backfilled prior? Correct. Um, as safely as we could. Obviously, we couldn't work outside the box, but where the shoring comes down the sides, we try to probe into those areas just to kind of get an idea as to uh, how loose the soil was in that area, and we found it to be uh, extremely loose. Other than the actual penetration of the, the pipe, uh, the, all the linings, the coatings, and the basic pipe material was in good shape, right? Uh, at the damaged site? Well, not uh, where the actual uh, leak happened. But. Where we actually, we actually went inside uh, the pipe all the way to the other side, about 410, 120 feet. I'm going to look at Kerry Packer because... He was the first one who wanted to go in there. He drew the shortest straw. So he went about 420 feet in that pipeline, and then I followed up as well and went inside there. We were trying to identify any other areas that could be uh, signs of deformity, uh, any mortar that had been cracking that would indicate any kind of stretch or, or uh, yielding of the material. And from what we could tell, we couldn't see any other mortar that was cracking. We did... Uh, find an area where the mortar was extremely thin, probably in the neighborhood of uh, eighth inch, maybe three sixteenths, where we see some uh, disc on the inside, yes, sir. Some discoloration, meaning there is probably some uh, corrosion starting to set in. That was on the west side of the 15 freeway there. So we uh, had the contractor remove that um, mortar coating, and then we added some mortar coating in that area as well. So uh, and any other spots that we've seen that may have been thinner or uh, may some small pockets that were existing. Has RQ those. undergone an internal inspection since it was completed? Not that I'm aware of. Uh, the only inspections that we've been able to see was this particular uh, repair. And then when the Atlanta extension went in, I know Tony was able to kind of crawl through some of that pipeline. and I did so you, No calls for alarm other than that the pipe failed leaked. At this time... Well, there are a couple other areas that we have identified that we want to take the time and look into it and just uh, find out if there's any uh, any areas of concern. Yeah, so I, there are a couple spots there. I, I want to add to this kind of one. I was going to make a plug here at the end of this. Uh, some, you know, some of our infrastructure, well, a lot of our infrastructure is not that old. Um, uh, but what we're seeing is that, you know, you have different contractors who worked on some of that. You have different areas with different types of soils and different um, – uh, moisture uh, conditions, all of that plays into sort of what we're seeing here um, between what we've seen on the Mojave River pipeline with outages and the Reach 4B or in kind of new, uh, I guess, uh, just upstream of the Newberry Springs area, um, what we're seeing on R-cubed. Um, this is all sort of 
making the case for the need for more comprehensive asset management, which we're finding the need to have to do. Now, we've been very much in this respond um, uh, uh, sort of how we've uh, we've been responding to issues that come up, but eventually we'll we'll, we'll sort of be able to be more proactive and and um, do some studies and understand where we might have the largest risk in these areas. I know um, uh, engineering and operations is looking at what can we send in pipelines to gather information about wall thickness, corrosion, settlement, things like this that could indicate where we need to be. This stuff is not cheap to do, even if uh, it's cheaper than digging it up and breaking in it's, or, or cutting into the line. It's, um, it's still expensive. So how we do it, um, you know, staff is going to be pulling together, you know, our belief on what, what we should be prioritizing first in terms of what we should explore. Yeah, I guess with cathodic protection, we've, we've done what we can do. But with this, where a leak happens, you just want to make sure it's not indicating of what can happen down the road. To a degree, I mean, there is some yeah. cathodic protection. You, you install a system and you had your conditions at the time, but other utility goes in. Maybe they put in press current. You know, there's straight current that happens. Maybe it's no longer uh, adequate. Or we might find where you have uh, continuity bridges because it's, uh, let's say, gasket of joints. Um, how do you make sure or ensure that the cathodic protection that's installed, either of anodes or is protecting the, the length of the pipeline you expect. Well, if there's a break in continuity like we saw in some of the, the Mojave River pipeline, that's a problem. So it's a it's kind of a bouquet of different things we're exploring, but about putting resources where it makes the most sense, where we're in, you know, the indications, also where there's the highest risk, right? The RQ right near the, the, the freeway, that's a high risk and something we need to be paying attention to. Other areas... You know, we could respond to a leak, and that may be an appropriate way to respond to things like that. Um, so, to 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 come, more to come, and as we explore asset management. Okay, great. Operation and maintenance update, Doug. All right. Good morning, everyone. And we'll start off at the R-cubed, and as uh, Stefan alluded to, uh, the pipeline's back in service again. Um, what we're taking time to do this week is just make sure everything is all ready for serving to our customers. We're, we're, uh, all of our bacteriological sampling came back good. Um, we're working on freshening up the water in the system since it's been sitting for almost three months. And uh, so we're pushing water in through the system as we speak uh, up to the Ponto Reservoir. And also we'll be doing some, some strategic flushing throughout the system as well just to kind of freshen up the water a little bit. Um, and that's, that's been our main focus with our cube uh, recently since our last couple of um, updates. And then, but uh, staff also had the time to make some repairs to the uh, pump-to-waste area at well six. We had a couple of uh, overflow uh, incidences where the the pump-to-waste exceeded the capacity of the the over the pump-to-waste pit, and it caused some erosion on the the slurry apron that we have right there. So um, Chris and Hunter and Nathan and uh, Curtis are they're making some repairs to that. Moving on to the Morongo Basin Pipeline, we've been focusing on doing some of our pipeline maintenance 
um, as far as like our air vac and blow off valve exercising, uh, some light maintenance on those, um, those pieces of, of equipment. And then also our uh, pipeline markers and our CP, our cathodic protection test stations. Um, all of these things uh, with, with such a short staff, they, they tend to be neglected, but they're very critical pieces of infrastructure that we need for a pipeline to make sure that everybody knows that there's a pipeline there and that we're able to get those soil to pipe potentials for our testing and, and make sure that our air vacs and, and our blowoffs are working properly. Okay, uh, last update reported on a couple of the sleeve valves that we inspected, the Deep Creek valve and the uh, one at Cassia. And just kind of some of the findings that we had when we were able to complete the inspections. And um, as far as our pressure reducing valves over at Hellendale and uh, Linwood, the Hellendale Bluffs North valve, we, we found significant erosion on the sleeve itself. And then also during the process of, of opening up the gate all the way uh, to inspect the valve, it got bound up, uh, something came loose, and uh, we haven't been able to get it unstuck yet. Uh, Linwood had some minor erosion, um, and then also some damage to the valve seat uh, seal housing. And then here, oh, just, to, just to remind you of, of what these valves look like on the inside, this where all these holes are at right here, this is this area right here, which is the sleeve portion. And then as I mentioned also, the, the seat housing is this area right here. And all that does is that just when the, when the gate is fully extended, it closes the valve and makes it as watertight as it possibly can be. Uh, looking at the picture on the left, this is the from Hellendale Bluffs, the north valve, it's a 20 inch pressure reducing valve and you can see that there's some significant erosion almost up to half of the thickness of the steel of the the sleeve itself so more than likely this is going to require a, a full rebuild on this valve and over to the right the picture this is the Linwood 24 inch PRV you can see some some slight um, erosion definitely not as bad as bluffs but then this is that that part on the lower the lower right there that that's that seal housing there and uh, when we go to the flow control valves I can kind of show you a better picture of what that looks like but there's bolts that keep all of this together and all of those were sheared and uh, the seal was completely out of it so that may be something that 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 might be able to be um, fixed out in the field. We're not completely sure yet. Engineering's working with the manufacturers to kind of come up with a game plan on what we need to do with these. Okay, so moving on to some of our flow control valves. These are uh, at Hodge, Linwood, and Daggett. Uh, these valves are an angle valve, so it's the same theory of operation, just in a vertical configuration instead of a horizontal configuration. So the sleeve the part, portion with all the holes is in this middle section right here. 
as you'll see in the next couple of pictures. So Hodge had some significant erosion on it. Uh, Linwood was fairly minor, and um, Daggett, just to end on a, on a, on some good news, Daggett was in good condition. So, and so here you can see the 14-inch flow control valve at Hodge. It's got pretty significant erosion on that sleeve. And then that portion that's right above there with like the bolts and the the um, safety wire connected to it, that's what that that sealed housing looks like on the other valve as well. So just to give you a better picture of what that looks like. And then again, like here you can see on the 12-inch for Linwood, you got, you got some erosion, but nothing super bad. And then Daggett is 14-inch. Hodge, for 2023, we did like 4,700 acre feet. Before that, I'm not sure. Yeah, not much at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, these these things are sized to move flow, right? But we use very we we flow very little. So you use a you know ten percent of that sleeve area. To move that water. The idea at Castia is they had parallel trains. So you could run, you know, you could just turn off a, a train and run the other one and use more of that sleeve uh, area so you're not getting more. Yeah, engineering exact. For the last, since I've been here, it's 2,000. Born in the. Better than the compassion, though, right? Yeah. Right, right, yeah. The engineering. Right, right, yeah. In, engineering is looking into different alternative uh, technologies, too, so. And that's it for the update. Thank you. Fairly open, huh? Yeah. Yeah, we are. But the wear would probably be the same if it was wide open, right? Not sure on that. Like, you can yeah. see that Daggett, Daggett's got hardly anything. Linwood, Linwood flowed pretty much the same amount of water, but it's a smaller sleeve, so maybe because it had to be opened up more, maybe it didn't have as much of a, an effect as the Hodge one, but
Yeah. Uh, no other questions, but thank you. Thanks, Doug. A general manager's report. Nothing additional report, thank you. No participation from the public today again? Uh, not at this time. Any discussion items for next agenda? Uh, no, but I just want to make a parting comment that um, I, I know that staff takes a lot of time to put together these presentations, and um, so I just I appreciate them, and I know sometimes we act, well, I, I'll speak for myself, um, don't have a lot of questions, but I think that just shows that you're giving us information we need. I know we're trying to kind of keep things moving along, but I, I really respect that you put a lot of time into this, and so appreciate um Appreciate everything. I know it seemed like a heavy agenda, it was, but um, I understand the work involved and that you need to come to the board and talk to us. So I don't, I don't want to make it sound like we're all rushed all the time. Yeah, I echo those uh, comments too, Marina. It's, uh, it's a lot of work to prepare these agenda items, so they make sense when we get to the board, and it doesn't take a lot of time. So uh, yeah. Good. We're adjourned. All right. I got to do the thing. I have the link.